Ladies and gentlemen, make yourselves comfortable. I'm Kit Garrison. I'm Brian Gill. And I'm Richard Barden. And this is Mad About Movie. Da, 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 da. You sound insane. Do you realize that? Oh, yeah. The whole world got crazy. Seriously? It's showtime. Mad About Movies is your go-to movie podcast for all things concerning the world of cinema. We discuss movie news and those ever-important movie rumblings, and then we break it on down for our chosen movie of the week. Fret not, spoiler-phobes, because we will give you plenty of ample warning before we head into the dreaded spoiler territory. And make sure you stick around for the end of the show for our weekly recommends. Also, make sure you check us out at madaboutmoviespodcast.com. You can find our Twitters on there. You can contact the show, send death threats to us with those cool like <laughs> magazine letters, whatever you need to do. Uh, madaboutmoviespodcast.com. Brian, this week's chosen movie of the week is... This week we're going to be talking about American Treasure, Michael Keaton, and Birdman. We had it all. You were a movie star, remember? Who was this guy who used to be Birdman? I like that poster. You wrote this adaptation? I did, yeah. And you're directing and starring in your adaptation. That's yeah. ambitious. Rapper Birdman or the basketball player Birdman? It's, it's about neither of them? It's not about rapper Birdman? Yeah, I was very disappointed in the lack of Chris Anderson in this movie. I'm just going to put that out there right now. I thought it was going to be about his his uh, like path from the Denver Nuggets through a catfishing incident yeah. to the Miami Heat. Yeah, that's what I thought it was going to be, but pretty... Catfishing pretty incident? Uh, yeah, you don't know about this? No, I don't. This is... Yeah. Should, we, should we do just all Birdman stories up until <laughs> sure. our review? I've got some sure. good... Big timers and Lil Wayne stories queued up. So you guys, just <laughs> yeah, yeah. But Chris Anderson, Chris Birdman Anderson had uh, an incident where a former, a former roommate, Richard. You may correct me on this, but he had like a he had a roommate for some reason. The roommate apparently was really into the kitty porn sort of stuff, and uh, so like the FBI came crashing in through Chris Anderson's house and. It was a big deal of like, oh, Chris Anderson's going to jail for kitty porn. And as it turned out, it was like a it was a catfishing deal. Like the way that it, it was like somebody trying to set him up for. Ah, uh, so for it was like it was an adult. Yeah. Acting like a young child. Yeah, basically. something something was really fishy. And it turned out it was like he had nothing to do with. Let's be clear. I'm not accusing uh, Chris Birdman Anderson of anything like he had nothing to do with any of this. But it wasn't like a uh, catch a predator situation or anything like that. But it was just somebody somebody was basically just just trying to take him down. <laughs> so yeah. I got an article on that somewhere. I'll have to send you guys. But uh, like a long form article is pretty interesting. I'm a little disappointed that that story didn't involve an actual catfish. I thought yeah, it was a story I mean, involving like him going on a fishing trip and a tragic thing right. happened with a catfish, but I'm I'm certain he has a misleading. tattoo on his body somewhere of a catfish. I'm <laughs> certain. All right, there's our Chris Anderson podcast for this week. <laughs> Stay tuned next week for our breakdown on Horace Grant. <laughs> the Mad About Movies podcast, but not Harvey Grant. Screw no. you, Harvey Grant. <laughs> I'm excited about Birdman, guys. This sure. one, this this was a this was a big one on the list at the beginning of the year. I think it's been brought up at least a dozen times ever since it was announced. And uh, we're finally here. Finally here to discuss American Treasure, Michael Keaton's work in his new film, Birdman. Speaking of American Treasures, we will each bring a new possible American Treasure to the table a little bit later in the show. And we will, of course, bless you all with our weekly recommends. But before we do that, guys, let's dive in. Just a little bit of movie news, rumors, and rumblings. Movie news. Yes. Rumors and 
That's awesome. Let the filibustering begin. Okay, guys, for this segment, I have two words for you. Furious 7. Oh, yeah. The best yeah, two words in the English language. Dead gummit. That's exactly what I was going to say. Too quick for you. So we're going to do a little bit of trailer talk here. Teaser trailer dropped for Fast 7 last week, and that was one of the more <laughs> celebratory text message conversations we've ever had, I think, guys. Yeah. So we're going to go around and give first impressions of this. I'm uh, I'm sure on the listeners' end, they're, they're just waiting to hear what we had to say about this, because we, uh, as everyone knows, uh, we're, we're all about two movies on this podcast, the Fast series and uh, Now You See Me. So <laughs> when, anytime something comes out revo- involving those two, uh, usually it, uh, we kick off the show uh, with it. So, Brian, long-awaited thoughts on the trailer to Furious 7. I mean, look, we, we understand. I, I put something on Facebook about the trailer and somebody said – you know, something back to me very jokingly. Um, I don't, I don't put up with any ridiculous. I saw this. Yeah. It made on me my angry. Facebook page, but uh, jokingly came back of like, really you're excited about this sort of thing. We understand that, that these are not movies that are going to win Academy Awards for best picture. Uh, there's something incredibly visceral and highly enjoyable about these films because they know what they are and they do that very, very well. It's it's all adrenaline. It's all awesomeness. It's all ridiculous, but there's never – they never give you a moment to think, well, that's just insane because you're like, this is awesome and you just yeah. can't – you know, you can't control your emotions almost. This is the perfect trailer. I mean if this is a teaser, I don't even know what I'm going to do when the real trailer comes out because <laughs> – uh, that I mean, it's it's perfect. It sets it up beautifully. It gives you a scene that you're I'm guessing is going to be very early on in the film, probably the opening scene. And it's awesome. And it just goes from there. I got legit goosebumps <laughs> when uh, when Paul Walker came on the screen for real for the first time like that, uh, that that impacted me emotionally. And it all ends with probably the best Vin line of all time. I mean, there's been some good ones in the in this series, but. I don't have friends. I have family. That's insane. Like that's such an incredible, incredible I line. Family. I will be saying that for the I next, I don't know, 20 years. So, uh, this, I, I could not be more psyched about this, this thing. Uh, Richard, you know, I was a little nervous about this obviously cause they, they had to shoot it on the fly, uh, with, with the unfortunate passing of Mr. Walker and also Justin Lin no longer involved, at least from a directorial perspective, but, uh, it looks pretty awesome. So, I'm, it looks right on line with the last two or three of these, which have been super fun summer movies or spring movies, whatever. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm pumped. It uh, got me hyped. I immediately just went and ordered 10 pounds of barbecue and <laughs> drank all my beers upside down and <laughs> had a great time. But uh, yeah, we no, had a conversation I'm, about your dad. Okay. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, my father eats <laughs> barbecue for everybody, which isn't even true. Vin um, Diesel, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. That was but, actually him. Yeah, no, he's here. Uh, <laughs> Big fan. Or, yeah, we're just singing Rihanna songs together. <laughs> when you, the minute this po- this podcast feed goes off, we just have a good time. Oh yeah, don't we, Vin? Yeah. All right. Um, when Owen Wilson comes over, it's a real good time, but we'll save that for it's another really wild. podcast. <laughs> yeah. Man and I are just sort of hanging out. I'm like, wow, were you the Iron Giant? <laughs> <laughs> oh, geez. Uh, 
I'm just only doing impressions the rest of the hour. No, uh, no, it was it was everything one could expect, and and that's that's pure, like you said, Brian, visceral awesomeness. So uh, I'm I'm super pumped. I'll be there hopefully with you guys uh, opening night. So that yeah, that needs to happen. We need to all see this together and uh, do a live cast of it. We need to work out something with Alamo Draft House where we just <laughs> yeah. set up in the lobby, we just go see the movie, and then we immediately podcast right afterward for a uh, live audience. So stay tuned for that, guys. We're brainstorming live on the the podcast here about future endeavors. But no, you know what's great about this is it's totally self-aware. It knows exactly what it is. And uh, they just keep adding little uh, ingredients to the stew. Oh, you guys like uh, fast cars? We're going to give you fast cars with ludicrous. Oh, (laughs) you guys like fast cars with ludicrous? Oh, now we're going to give you the rock. Yeah. Oh, yeah. you guys like The Rock? Now we're going to give you Jason Statham. You know, it just keeps getting <laughs> yeah. better and better, and all these elements are going to combine to one just... Inc- guys, The Rock flexes out of his cast <laughs> in the trailer. He could have just cocoa buttered out of there, too. That's the impressive <laughs> part. Because that thing would have slipped right off. Yeah. He's so greased up. Oh, man. So he just did it just for sport. No, it's uh, it's it's definitely high. I was telling you guys, it's that's pretty sad, but that's probably my number one most anticipated movie next year. I know Star Wars and Avengers and all those things come out, but uh, I'm I'm just as pumped. I don't know if I can say more, but I can say I'm just as pumped for Furious Seven. I don't want to steal a line, so it was a friend of the podcast, um, Mr. Paul Shear, who tweeted, uh, "the the fat the Furious Seven trailer is better than most films I've seen." Yeah. <laughs> so I can't I can't argue with that. The the opening scene of the trailer, I just have to mention and make a comparison. You know, Christopher Nolan like saw that and was like, uh, what was I even doing with uh, the Dark Knight Rises? Because you know how you're gonna oh you have four guys jumping out of a plane. Well, how about people in race cars jumping <laughs> yes. out of a plane? Tom yeah. Cruise was so mad watching that, and yeah. you know that's gonna be the opening sequence of the movie. Yeah, and it's oh, yeah. just gonna be like. What is even happening uh, in the first five minutes? I can't wait. It's it's highly anticipated for me. It's it's less than six months away at this point. I, I have a little some stats to read to you about the trailer. Uh, it went quite viral. April third, <laughs> rather actually. April third. Gotcha. It went quite viral this past week, and uh, viral is sort of an understatement. Um, apparently, it got one million views in the first thirty minutes. Oh well, I watched. About a hundred thousand. Yeah. So I jacked that up. <laughs> it got sixty-two million in the first day, and over one hundred million in the first forty-eight hours. Wow! The Furious Seven trailer, incredible. So people love it. Uh, they're going to keep them on coming. Hopefully, we get Fast Eight or whatever they want to call it. Just call yeah. it And Eight because they haven't used. Here's uh, here's what it's going to be yet. called. What? Yeah. Or or just F Eight, and it'll be called Fate. Oh, but, yeah. you know, that's yeah. going to happen. <laughs> that's too good of an idea to, for it not to happen. Yeah. You can send us a check, Justin Lin. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, I, w- I want my job to be just the guy that names the Fast and Furious movies. Every year they come to me. I just think of first top five puns I can on that number. Number nine is obviously just fine. And you have Michelle Rodriguez on the front on the poster. Um. So we we didn't really get a chance last week in our uh, discussion of Marvel Cinematic Universe to talk about the Avengers trailer that dropped. 
I'm sorry, I don't even remember that. Is that I'm sorry, Fast <laughs> Furious Seven came yeah. out and I just kind of blacked out. Knocked all trailers away. Seriously. Every single trailer ever. I don't remember <laughs> any of them. I, I think we should give our first impressions of just what I guess we were expecting of that and if it if it met up to them. I'll just say much darker tone we can already tell right off the yes. bat for this. The first Avengers movie was known and uh praised for being so bright and colorful and fun and uh you know, just entertaining most of all. This could be the opposite. This seems to be a darker affair, not one that, you know, a lot of people are going to be attracted to other than that it's the Avengers, but it, it seems to be going in the direction of the Captain America, the Winter Soldiers, and the Thor, the Dark World, mm-hmm. and uh, the Guardians of the Galaxy. So interesting to see them go in a different direction, but it's a, a pleasant surprise, in my opinion. Brian, what do you think of the uh, Age of Ultron trailer. Yeah, I'm with you. It's a darker tone. It fits more with with the Winter Soldier. I like that. I'm glad that they're. I feel like they're doing a very good job of uh, of making these kind of darker films, but still making them fun. Uh, I you know as opposed to the DC films that just kind of drown in shadow, um, yeah. both on screen and just in tone and such. Uh, so they yeah they do a really good job. I'm really stoked for Spader because I just think he. this is a film that he's going to own. And I really hope, I really hope, and I've said this before when we talked about Marvel, but it's it, they've always lacked a great villain. And uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm optimistic that, uh, that Spader as Ultron is, is going to do that. I'm, you know, we'll have to see. But up to this point, Loki and the Avengers is really the only, I think, the, real, the, the best of the Marvel villains. And he's good, but he's not you know, the Joker or, or something that uh, really stands out, I think. Uh, and, and I don't think he's particularly great in either of the Thor movies personally. So, uh, I'm, I kind of hope this is the, this is the film that, that gives us a great villain and, and Spader's the dude to do it. So I'm glad I'm excited about it. Yeah. I, I hope it's not just flying evil Iron Man suits around. Yes. Like Iron Man three. And then there's some glimpse of that in the trailer that scared me that's the only thing that scared me a little bit we got a glimpse of the hulkbuster which i predicted would be in the avengers that we saw in iron man 3 that's that's what fans i i think there's going to be a a brawl between the hulk and the hulkbuster so that could be a cool sequence just hopefully it's not overdone but i know what you're saying richard yeah so and i hope and i i trust that they'll have a little more complexities than that because that was probably my my biggest complaint with Iron Man three was just there's so many Iron Man suits flying around <laughs> attacking each other, um, so that was the other thing. But yeah, you're definitely right. I'm I'm down with the darker tone, and I trust Joss, and and I think it'll be cool. I'm I'm excited to see all these people back. Um, plus, uh, see how they introduce a few new characters. And yeah, I, Brian, I, you know me. I'm I'm Team Spader since the way back. So uh, yeah. I'm pumped for that. Yeah, you're the leader of the. Uh the Spader resurgence, I believe. Yeah, I was ahead of the, that's one of the things I was ahead of the curve on HGTV right. humor, Spader and fan fiction humor. You and I, we're, we're running, we're driving that train. <laughs> Apparently this week, Tom Hiddleston confirmed that Loki will be back uh, eventually in this timeline. I think in Thor three and in uh, Avengers infinity war, which is the Avengers three Loki will return. So, Maybe we'll we'll get more Loki in the Avengers Age of Ultron. I'm hoping we get more Thanos than anybody. Uh, mm. I'm tired of them teasing that storyline and not really giving us anything of substance as a fan base. So hoping that uh, Spader and Thanos, uh, Josh Brolin's Thanos, um, have bigger roles in the Avengers. And I agree, Brian. They have lacked a true villain for a while. Loki was a true villain, but lacked a convincing villain, I should say. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, even Loki at, at 
when he's powerful is working for someone else. Yeah, it's just Hiddleston's such a great actor. Yeah. And that's what makes Loki great is that Hiddleston plays him so great. It doesn't make – it's not his powers that we're scared of or – we just like seeing him on the screen. It's not sure. that he's really intimidating or anything like that. But, uh, man, excited for Age of Ultron and, uh, of course, uh, the listeners can go back and listen to our other Marvel podcasts. Those are available in our archives and also check out last week's conversation where we discussed the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe Phase 3, which was announced last week hey i've got one more news tidbit ken okay uh bale is officially out of the steve jobs but oh yeah yeah that was quick i'm glad you mentioned that Um, not a fan of seth rogan screamed at him and then left (laughs) (laughs) well i mean it's it's crazy because christian bale is so appropriate for that role in so many ways Mm -hmm. not only uh his age where he's at is just the perfect age to play to where he could play a young steve or an old steve and still have it be convincing um but his personality is similar like a you know creative genius obviously but uh also has a temper of a you know a rabid wolverine you know or something uh just (laughs) will scream at you and just degrade you just like steve jobs would do so you know great fit in more ways than one but sad to see him go he was one of my first choices uh for the role but the question is now, who are they going to get? Uh, Leonardo DiCaprio walked out of the role before they uh, went to get bail and said he's taking a break from acting, which uh, I don't know what kind of excuse that is when you're an actor. Um, but I, I hope they get somebody good. Uh, this script is going to be pretty good, and uh, Danny Boyle's a good filmmaker, so it has potential, but uh, you know, it all depends on who they cast as Steve, of course. But what do you guys think? Who do you think they should get? At this point, obviously Franco would make it a, a Rogan Franco <laughs> buddy comedy. Oh, geez. Yeah, we should mention that Seth Rogan was was pretty much confirmed last week. I've heard, you know, this week a little bit that it's more up in the air now than it was. Okay, uh, that Seth Rogan will be playing the role of Apple co-founder Steve Wozniak, which really excited me. I think that's a great fit. I would love to see Rogan do you know more dramatic work, obviously. But uh, that was the role that Josh Gad played uh, pretty well in the Ashton Kutcher starred uh, Jobs film from last year. I forgot about that movie. Yeah. Yeah, That's we enough. never did a podcast. I on mean, that. he's done some good things. He was good in that, and he's great in Book of Mormon. But uh, I think that's enough, Josh Gad, folks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, don't worry about him. Maybe a Frozen sequel is the only other yeah. time. Oh, that's true. Get ready He's... for a lot of that as the uh, holidays approach. You're going to see uh, Josh yeah. Gad in a lot of stuff, I imagine. What is that movie oh. with him and Kevin Hart? Oh, wedding yeah. Re- the Wedding, the wedding ringer. ringer. The Wedding yeah. Ringer? Oh, yeah. man. Don't <laughs> worry, great. though. I was watching the all the LeBron hype on Thursday, and uh, Kevin Hart does say this is his best movie. So, <laughs> Well, it's coming out in January, so you know it's going to well, be. Like all of his movies. Right prime for Oscar season. He's on Comedians in Cars getting coffee this year. That's I saw the trailer. That's interesting. I don't. I saw Jerry Seinfeld just hit, like, <laughs> throw his seatbelt off and just, just jump with a parachute. Car. <laughs> yeah, yeah I have no idea you. why. Why Jerry had him on there? Jetpacks out, (laughs) loses a three hundred thousand dollar car. Worth it. (laughs) Service to America. Brian, who do you? Who's your number one now that Christian Bale's gone for Steve? Uh, Vin Diesel. Can he play that role? Just I'm sure he could. Yeah, he can play any role. Yeah, 
<laughs> I, I don't know, man. Like now that you've uh, now that you've reminded me of the Steve Jobs, the first Steve Jobs film, I'm having trouble. Not that that's a good movie at all, but all I can see is Ashton Kutcher's face. I don't know, man. Um, he did look a lot like him. I'll give Kutcher. He did. They, they pulled that, that part off quite well. Bale would have been great. Uh, DiCaprio would have been great. I don't know. Pick pick anyone who, who uh, was up for Doctor Strange at one point or another and, uh, <laughs> and, and slide them into that role, yeah. except Johnny Depp, because I don't think there's any white face paint involved in this role. So. Jared Pull Leto, maybe as Steve Jobs? Yeah, Wasn't sure. Was that a Jared rumor Leto? at one point? I feel like Yeah, it was. I think so. Yeah. You know, Joaquin doesn't really look anything like Steve Jobs, but maybe with uh, some kind of prosthetic, they could figure that out. What would you guys think about a um, a Harrelson or a or a McConaughey? Today we revolutionize the phone. <laughs> All right, I'm down. It's, um, yeah. it's, it's real cool. <laughs> swipe it. We're that'll, doing impressions that, this entire episode. That'll be one we'll have Happy to November. monitor. Uh, you know. And we'll, you know, of course, keep everyone up to date. But we thought that one was confirmed. And when I heard the the Rogan announcement uh, this past weekend, I was like, man, Bale and Rogan, that's going to yeah. be cool. With Danny Boyle and Aaron Sorkin yeah. doing the scripts, that could be really cool. I was yeah. just hoping for a Batman week. and the Green Lantern. Or, no, the Green <laughs> Hornet. Dang it. Uh, close. Close. I was hoping Tough. for weeks of Christian Bale screaming at, you know, lighting <laughs> people. And then you just hear like the <laughs> in the background. <laughs> And it would have given Rogan an opportunity to just get as fat as he wants to because Laws is pretty big. Yeah, exactly. Segway around. All right. Well, I just thought I thought uh, you guys would find that interesting. It's going to be yeah. that movie is kind of as a uh, exciting yet tortured young history. So uh, yeah. we'll see as that develops. I think that's one to keep an eye on. So, guys, without further ado, it's the first week of November. It's time for American Treasures. <laughs> Let me explain to the listener, in case you are unfamiliar with this segment, uh, what American Treasures are. So this is a little Hall of Fame that we have going uh, on the Mad About Movies podcast, in which we each bring somebody to the table who defines what is great about American cinema. Uh, These people usually have a comedic tone to what they do. Uh, There's a requirement to either be 50 years old or in your business for 25 years. The only real requirement we have is that these candidates have a sense of humor about themselves. Yeah. And well, uh, look, this is a sort of a comedic award. We're 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 not uh we're not in the business of giving this award to, you know, Tom Cruise or somebody like that. This is uh this is a comedic slam. Well, I guess I won't bring my nominee to the table <laughs> tonight, guys, cuz it was Tom Cruise. No, I'm just kidding. It wasn't. <laughs> uh but you're you're absolutely right, Brian, and you know, there are people in this uh in this hall that aren't comedians, but they do, like I said, have a comedic tone uh, to them. So there are three wings currently in the Hall of American Treasures. We have the Actors Wing, we have the North American Treasures Wing, which are our brothers from the North in Canada, and we have the Public Figures Wing, which are people that are not necessarily actors per se, but have a significant role in pop culture. So without further ado, Brian, who do you have to bring to the table this week for American sure, Treasures? I had- yeah, I uh, I'm gonna bring you a a public figure today. Oh, uh, like yeah. So look, we all know that I'm a big fan of the basketball. Basketball season has just kicked off. I think Richard has made this person's TV show a, a, a weekly recommend. There, he, he's a member of of maybe the best sports show on on television. 
So I'm I'm gonna bring Mr. Charles Barkley. Chris Webber. Oh, sorry, I guess wrong. Chris Kenny Webber. the Jet Smith. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, American Treasure Charles Barkley is gonna be. You guys my, are really tempting my impressions today. <laughs> okay, that's interesting. That's yeah, interesting. so yeah, he so, fits the criteria age and wise. He does have a great sense of humor about himself. It's not a tar- It's not as horrible. Recommend. Yeah. I'm going to think about it for a second. He's very, he's very pop culturally relevant. He's in, he Mm kind of can't go anywhere without seeing or hearing from Charles. He's got an opinion on everything. I think that's what makes him great. Uh, I think that's what sets him apart from most athletes because he will say whatever he wants and and sports analysts to be frank, but uh, he'll, he'll say whatever he wants to say and there's no, uh, there's no backing down. For him and uh and you, you kind of have to to love that about him he's hosted snl that's always a a plus uh for for this category this nominations yeah he's hosted a couple of times so uh that that helps his cause i think uh he also kind of he he fits the profile of this is not a requirement of the american treasures but you know he'd be a blast to hang out with and uh so that that's american definitely Treasury. not true because because Baldwin is on this list. Yes. He doesn't, no, yeah, he doesn't. no one wants to hang out with Baldwin or Bruce Willis. I wish we could take him out of the Hall of Fame. But uh and 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 Jack Nicholson maybe might not be the most fun either. So but yeah. uh but that that I think that helps your cause. Sense of humor about oneself is the requirement, yes, not absolutely uh, fun to hang and, out with. A lot of these right. people we'd probably be pretty disappointed uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, if we hung totally. out with them. <laughs> but yeah, no no question. But I'm gonna go ahead and he, say that James Carville definitely is fun though. Oh, oh yeah. 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 <laughs> Uh, so anyway, I, look, I think he's a, I think he fits the, the criteria. Uh, he's an enjoyable personality. He's, he's hilarious. Uh, even when he was at his most, like very frustrating as a superstar athlete, he was always hilarious. And then you just kind of had to deal with, uh, the, the, the ridiculousness that went along with it. But now he's kind of settled down in his older life. And, uh, anyway, that's, that's my, uh, that's my nomination this week. Interesting. I gotta say, I'm a little conflicted with this one. Okay. Um, not an obvious pick, first of all, and uh, somebody that I can definitely respect. But you know what? What's true about this award, like I said, more than anything, is that what makes somebody an American treasure is the sense of humor about themselves. And that's what makes Charles, uh, other than Bill Walton, could be the, the uh, only NBA player, former NBA player currently in the Hall of American Treasures. Because uh-huh. there are other people we could bring to the table. Easily that have had yeah. more impact on pop culture than one Charles Barkley, for instance, sure. Michael Jordan. Sure, uh, but- Michael Jordan had a good run in the nineties, uh, yeah. both on the court and off. As far as uh, sense of as, as far as you know, doing fun things, uh, hosting SNL and uh, doing Bill Swirsky super fans on there and stuff like that. Uh, had yeah. had wasn't Space Jam for God's sake? If that's not sense of humor about yourself, I don't know what is. But. Yeah. Don't know if if Michael Jordan's the most pleasant person. I just no, don't know. I, I think Michael Jordan definitely definitely swings closer to the Pivens than yeah. uh, than the <laughs> the American Treasures. Just personally, great greatest basketball, greatest athlete of all time. Uh, but not sure you want to hang out with them. Not just American on Treasure a daily basis. Not, you know what? Yeah, great best basketball player of all time, hands down. Not American Treasure. It's a whole different yep. whole different ball game. Agreed. Uh, so you know what. I'll say one more thing, and I'll let Richard have his vote. Sure. Should should we just vote him in, uh, Barkley, that is, into the Hall of American Treasures just be, just for discovering Dirk Nowitzki? 
Shouldn't that be automatic joy into my life? Yeah, absolutely. And by the way, whenever Dirk turns 50, we're going to have to find a way for him. But that's (laughs) European. We talk about athletes that have a sense of humor about themselves. I mean, that's a short list. And Dirk is is top of the list at this point. So for sure, as far as current athletes go, anyway, bottom of the list, CJ Wilson. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Straight edge, bro. (laughs) Straight edge racer. Go ahead, Richard. I'm just going to you know, we've talked about it enough. I'm just going to say yes. Charles Barkley. Wow. Also in Space Jam, I should mention. Yeah. yeah. One of the best scenes. <laughs> and that's one of the best moments of his career where it's just like, I wanted to be there the day they filmed that. All right. Now, Charles, now your powers are being sucked out of you. <laughs> now convulse on the basketball court. <laughs> you know, that must have been the B-roll yeah. of that must be. The best, Hilarious. the best scene in that movie is when he goes to uh, to play basketball in a street game, and the girl just just punks him the whole game, and he just stares at like I've lost so much. So yeah. it's pretty great. <laughs> yeah, he's yeah. got quite quite the uh, the career on uh, on film and TV. He was in he was in Hot Shots. He was in mm-hmm. He Got Game. He was in Forget Paris. I mean, right. come on. He was in a great ep- the best episode of Hanging with Mr. Cooper. <laughs> You're right. I've got a quick uh, <laughs> one-minute Barkley story that may illuminate him to people that aren't familiar. Can you want me to tell it? Yeah, do. When my mom was alive. She took me to a, a luncheon at SMU um, here in Dallas that Charles Barkley was the guest of honor at. I uh, was speaking. I was probably like 19 years old, and uh, we met for lunch. I got out of class in college, drove over, met her, and and uh, went up there and. Um, so they asked Barkley some it's just normal basketball stories, life stories, and then they say, uh, you know, you're you're friends with Michael, you're very close friends with Michael Jordan. Can you kind of tell a story that will illuminate what that's like? And he goes, Yeah, you know, Michael got divorced recently, and I told him, dude, you just wrote a check for three hundred million dollars, <laughs> <laughs> and that ain't even the worst part, because one day you're gonna go pick up your kids at your house, and there's gonna be some dude over there. Sitting in your chair, wearing your robe, smoking your cigar, and you better hope it ain't me, because I could use three. <laughs> I could use three hundred million dollars. Yeah, and that's my favorite uh, Charles Barkley story. Anyone so, uh, who has admitted on live television to losing uh, tens of million dollars of gambling <laughs> is yeah. American Treasure yeah. status. Okay, so John Daly's an American treasure. For sure. Okay, got it. <laughs> Noted. I, I should recommend, I, you might not have recommended this before, or maybe you have, Brian, the 84 draft documentary. Oh, yeah, that's great. Um, tells a lot of his story, and man, what a fantastic uh, human being. Uh, oh. Just an interesting person to watch. Multi, multi-Emmy award-winning uh, yeah. analyst, too, yeah. uh, on the side. So great, great uh, nominee. Richard, who are you bringing to the table? Yeah, I'm going to bring an actor. Uh, okay, has been in a lot of films. Is also a, a top-notch talk show guest, which uh, which uh, is always a good thing in this in this, and uh, has been uh, gone viral a few times this summer with some of his activities. I'm going to go American Treasure Jeff Goldblum. Oh, interesting. Okay, he's a wonderful, wonderful storyteller and talk show guest. He has a wonderful sense of humor about himself, and it seems everything. Um, I don't know if any of the listeners saw or if you guys saw this summer, he uh, attended a wedding with his much um, younger b- bride, which is not an official category for American Treasure, but it helps. <laughs> <laughs> helps uh, cleaning it in. Yeah, totally. 
There's nothing. It doesn't hurt. Put it to you that way. They, the people kind of were like, whoa, Jeff Goldblum's at our wedding. So they took a picture of the whole wedding party and him running and then put the dinosaur from Jurassic Park in it. And he was totally in on it. Um, and that went viral this summer. So he's really just funny. He doesn't seem to care too much. He's always great and he played the same character for 35 years. I'm just a huge fan of him personally. So, and he's tall. I like tall people. So, uh, American treasure, Jeff Goldblum. Brian. Yeah, I, I certainly can't argue against him. He's a fantastic talk show host or guest, excuse me, as uh, as Richard said. He's in one of my 10 favorite movies of all time, Jurassic Park, so that that doesn't hurt. Uh he was great in Grand Budapest Hotel earlier this year. Loved that. Uh yeah, I can't uh I I I can't complain. So, he's got he's got my vote. Must go faster. Must go faster. <laughs> yeah. He says that in Independence Day and Jurassic Park. Yeah. It's per- it's the perfect line, honestly. I mean, must go faster. Um, <laughs> you know what? It's crazy. He he's such an interesting person that you know, Jurassic Park was the biggest movie of all time at the time, uh, if I'm not mistaken, in the box office. Uh, you know what? We're just going to give uh, the sequel to Jeff Goldblum. It's going to be <laughs> Jeff Goldblum in uh, The Lost World, Jurassic Park. And, right. Uh, that's that's kind of funny because he is, what, third build actor in, yeah. in yeah. Jurassic Park? That, that's because Laura Dern and Sam Neill are both Pivens. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> and, I actually uh, have no idea about Sam Neill, but Laura Dern, definitely a Piven. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Which stinks because her dad might be an AT. <laughs> it's true. Might be the first ever familial yeah. Piven VAT rivalry. She's, she's not even allowed to come to the ceremony. Just, mm, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> but, I mean, he, he obviously rose to prominence in the 90s. I'm looking forward to see him seeing what, uh, if he ends up being an Independence Day sequel, that's supposed to drop in a few years. So that could be interesting. But uh, he's picked the right projects over the years. I will say that. He's sort of remained uh, uh, under the radar. I'm sure he gets a lot of Michael Bay-type movie offers and stuff that he doesn't uh, do anymore. Uh, he's yeah. found his place. His blockbuster days are over. He knows that. He made a lot of money off it. But now he's found his niche and uh, just a really fun person to hear talk and speak and tell stories sure. like you alluded to Richard. He he seems like the kind of guy that uh, just playing off what you just said, Kent, like he, he, you know, he gets a lot of offers and he turns it down and then he shows up in like Portlandia or friends or yes. Um, yeah. just Tim glee- and Eric or something. I'm looking at his, his like IMDb. He was really funny on the league um, in a couple of episodes. And so it seems like he just does whatever crosses his desk that he, that he actively is like, Oh, that sounds fun. You know? And, and he's certainly not interested in stretching himself as an actor at this point. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But just like, I think I'd have a fun time on this set. And I, I respect that. Yeah, absolutely. He gets my vote. Uh, what about you, Brian? Yeah, he gets my vote. Unanimous. Wow. We need females. We do. Uh, in the Hall of American Treasures. Right now, we only have two females. We have uh, Miss Kathy Bates and the one, the only, Julia Louis-Dreyfus. So, I could bring a female to the table, but I also have a great male uh, nominee. So, what's it going to be, guys? Either way, Go you ahead. tell us. Bring a, bring a lady to the dance. By dance, I mean the annual AT banquet, which is the invitation. <laughs> Uh, it's not, not suit y'all's fancy, but really fun human being and uh, somebody who's uh, had an impact in multiple areas uh, in her career. 
one of the most iconic television actresses uh, of our time and also has done some great uh, work in film as well. One of the most recognizable voices uh, of our time as well. Fran Drescher? Close. No, it's not Fran Drescher. (laughs) I'm going to bring to the table American treasure Katie Seagal. Oh, okay. That's interesting. That's interesting. Well, obviously, she starred in one of the biggest uh, sitcoms of all time, uh, Married with Children. And uh, that show obviously had a uh, long run in its day. She also starred alongside the uh, late, great John Ritter in Eight Simple Rules. That show probably would have lasted a long – it lasted three seasons after Ritter like mm-hmm. was wasn't there anymore so that tells you a lot about that's what with she, david spade so right <laughs> yeah you're right I forgot, oh, I forgot about that um but she's also you know had short stints in other television series as well sons of anarchy lost but she is m- probably most well known by our audience as the voice of leela of futurama and uh has lent her voice to numerous animated uh series uh in her time and has had a huge second uh, second life of her career uh, doing voiceover work. Uh, always seems like a interesting and fun lady. And uh, whenever, like you said, um, with about Goldblum, whenever she's on talk shows, she always seems to have something to say. She's a three time Golden Globe winner, uh, so that speaks for itself as far as her uh, critical acclaim. That's my case for Katie Seagal. I just thought she was a not your average nominee. And, yeah, uh, has no, an American true. treasure. Yeah, like she has an American treasure quality uh, to her. I've heard so. from several people too. She's one of those people like Henry Ringler. Uh, who, she seems to be very well loved as just a delightful human being, which also helps. Good Being be. nice to people is a good thing. Yeah, see, that's what uh, I didn't know about her when I brought her to the yeah. table. So I didn't know if you guys had any horror stories about uh, her in the past. But uh, no. Brian, what are your thoughts on go this? Or Richard, what's your vote? I'll hold my vote, but I'm I'm interested. I'll uh, let me hear Brian's thoughts, and then I'll vote. Brian, I, I'll say one one pro and one con. The the, the con being much like uh, Francis McDormand. I I can't like I don't know. I, I don't know anything about her. I mean, I've read articles and stuff, but I can't remember. Can't you're gonna have to remind me? Like I I can't remember seeing her on Conan or. or or, you know, Leno or Letterman or whatever. Um, yeah. So I don't have, like, there's not, like, a go-to, oh, yeah, she was really funny on this or or whatever. Um, as far as her career goes, she definitely has a fantastic legacy. Uh, Married with Children is not a show that I've, like, ever really gotten into. I was, certainly was not allowed to watch it when I was uh, a kid. And, and uh, so I don't really care, but it's but its legacy is, is superb. Sons of Anarchy, though, is... An, this is my big my big pro. Sons of Anarchy is one of my favorite shows of all time, and I think it's been a weekly recommend at one point or another. Uh, and she uh, she holds that show together for I don't know how many seasons. It's it's been on for eight years now, and she is the focus of the show uh, in a lot of ways, a lot of different times. So she's I mean she's fantastic. And if she was not married to Kurt Sutter, who is insufferable uh, <laughs> and is the uh, he's the uh, creator of the show as well. Uh, she would definitely have some Emmys uh, to hang on to from that because it, she's just absolutely amazing. So that that's my that's my only holdup is is the 
I, I can't I can't tell you yes she's she's fantastic in person and and has a sense of humor about herself because I just don't I just don't know so yeah. um Richard I, what what where are you at on this one uh, yeah I just I've known some people that have uh, actually know a couple guys that have done work on her house okay um, and <laughs> uh, they say she's she's very very lovely so uh, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go ahead and speed it up I'm just gonna go vote yeah so she's an American treasure. To your point, Brian, she has 75 uh, credits on IMDb of just herself, of things Sweet. she's appeared on sure. as talk shows uh, and, and the like. So okay. I guess she would be uh, – she would count as relevant or – you know, she does that stuff. She's willing to go out and, and be herself on these shows. Sure. She's not like, yeah, I'll do Letterman once every 10 years type of, type of uh, personality. So I think that okay. sort of benefits her. But, I mean, uh, yeah. I don't watch The View a lot. But you know she's on the View and stuff like that, so uh, sure. I got to give her credit for that. But I have seen her on; um, she's been on Craig Ferguson a lot of times. I, yeah, I, I was have looking seen at that. Yeah, that's interesting. And um, she's been on Conan no, numerous times too. Yeah. So yeah, and Lopez tonight. I mean that helps. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like it's that yeah, automatic she, I, AT. So. Right. I'll, I'll give I'll, I'll give my vote. I'll, I'll, I'll I love. I mean I love her as an actor. She's fantastic. So. I'm I'm willing to go out on a limb and say yes. Yeah, she's she's a uh, you know, she has a great sense of humor about herself. And I honestly I can't think of a reason that she's not an American treasure. You yeah, know, that that's a good sense. point as well. well like, her husband, yeah. except well, for, she puts yeah. up with him, so she's got it. She's yeah. got to have a great sense of humor about herself to be able to uh, to deal with him. Because as talented as he is, he is. Def- I mean, we might need to change it from the Pivens to the Sutters. He's <laughs> straight really, cash, really insufferable. Yeah. <laughs> You take that back. <laughs> Think yeah, of the syndication money that Katie Seagal makes off Oh, my of gosh, yeah. Married no, with Children, no Futurama, Sons, and she had a part in that 70s show for a while, uh-huh. too. Man, crazy. Um, so, wow, three American treasures this week. And in a well-rounded group, too. That's, yes. that's fun. Charles Barkley. Actor, actress, and public figure. That's Katie solid. Seagal and Jeff Goldblum. Impressive. Charles Barkley and Katie Seagal will get tired of Jeff Goldblum's stories in their apartment, though. Just, 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 just <laughs> be honest. Charles Barkley will be like, dude, you got to stop talking. <laughs> yeah, this just reinforces my point about the American Treasure uh, title. It's like if, if a few of these people could just work together, would you, <laughs> you have to ask yourself, would you want to see a movie with um, Bill Cosby and Charles Barkley? Uh, yes. Would yeah. I want to see a movie with uh, Val Kilmer? And Michael J. Fox, uh, yeah, you know? <laughs> it's like uh, if you mix and match American Treasures together, it sounds pretty intriguing. So that's part of the qualification too. Um, I'm really proud of our hall so far. And if you want to find all of our American Treasures, they're all on our website in the American Treasures tab. So let's move on and let's talk about American Treasure Michael Keaton's work in Birdman. This is my chance to finally do some work that actually means something. It means something to who? You had a career, Dad, before the third comic book movie, before people started to forget who was inside that bird costume. You were doing a play based on a book that was written 60 years ago for a thousand rich old white people whose only real concern is going to be where they go to have their cake and coffee when it's over. And let's face it, Dad, you are not doing this for the sake of art. You are doing this because you want to feel relevant again. Well, guess what? There is an entire world out there where people fight to be relevant every single day, and you act like it doesn't exist. Things are happening in a place that you ignore, a place that, by the way, has already forgotten about you. You hate bloggers. You mock Twitter. You don't even have a Facebook page. You're the one who doesn't exist. 
You're doing this because you're scared to death, like the rest of us, that you don't matter. And you know what? You're right. You don't. It's not important, okay? You're not important. Get used to it. Richard, I'm going to let you kick this off. You, I believe we're the first person of the three of us to see this. So let's save spoilery stuff for spoiler territory. And generally, what are your thoughts on Birdman? Yeah, super interesting movie. Um, immaculately well shot and well made and not surprising given the talent behind. Incredible performances. Definitely as expected on the performance side. Really interesting kind of takes on you know satire of on philosophy and pop culture criticism and kind of what we do and 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 what actors do and 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 writers and directors and, and artists. I don't know a, a very thought provoking, interesting film. It's hard not to go into spoiler territory, but it's uh, a a very smart, very dark comedy about about a man uh, who's kind of a former movie star who's who's struggling to surmount this play. And uh, or mouth this, but I don't know what I'm saying. And he, uh, you know, and all the sort of characters that he has to take on, including um, his sort of alter ego and putting it on. But there's there's uh, a lot of magic realism to it as well, and, and things like that. So I, I, yeah, it's hard movie to talk about because it's so sort of bizarre. But definitely, probably the most original movie of the year, at least from a directing and acting standpoint. The script is kind of formulaic in some ways. You can kind of see a couple things coming, but. Uh, mm-hmm. Just a really unique, uh, unique movie in terms of the look. I mean, aesthetically, I've never seen anything like that. So we'll talk about it more when we get into spoiler territory. But Brian, what, 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 what did you think? This is a. I've never. I don't know that I've ever seen anything like this from a from a cinema cinematography standpoint and from the the structure of the film and the way that it is that it is put together. If you've seen it, you you understand that this is like it it is designed to make you feel like there is no editing or any cuts. Like it's just the yeah. camera running pretty much the entire time. And I was, I was totally blown away by the way that they were able to pull that off at times. You know, the opening sequence is like a 12 minute shot and you kind of, at some point you expect this is going to stop and we're going to, you know, we'll get back to it maybe in the next scene, but there's going to be some sort of scene change. And really the first scene change is, the lights going up in the theater and then it kind of pans to the left and there's Ed Norton and you kind of realize that, that, you know, six or eight hours has passed um, without any cut, without any edit. And that's uh, it. That completely blew me away. I was, I was mesmerized by the look of this movie and by the way that I, I'm going to just butcher the guy's name the entire show. So I, I apologize, but the way that, Inarito, is that how you say it? Inarito, can anybody help me out there? The way he put this together. I think that's together. a late night Jack in the Box <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> Just, uh, but anyway, I was mesmerized by the way he put it together, and I, I don't know that I've ever seen a film do that before. I, not to this extent, and not to the level of success that uh, this had. You know, like True Detective, we gave that that fourth episode so much. Uh, praise because it has like an eight minute tracking shot and it deserves it because that's it's fantastic. I know this is this is not a tracking shot, but it feels like a two hour tracking shot. Uh, and that it, it was just 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 phenomenal. Uh, Richard, you're totally right. The script, if you just if you 
the all the originality in the film is based on the performances and the the structure of the film the way it's put together the script is is a fine script i don't have any issues with it but it is definitely more of a uh, a little bit formulaic and a little not cliche but you know there's some themes within that uh, i from what i've seen some of the critics have kind of gotten hung up on that uh yeah i mean i get it there's there's some themes that are that have been done uh, many times before and will be done many times after, but that's partly because they're very universal themes, I think. And, and, you know, they matter. And so I don't really have a problem with that. And it gets swallowed up so beautifully by the rest of this film that, uh, I, I certainly didn't, I didn't care to notice the flaws within the script and the story as I was watching the film, because it was just such an immersive incredible experience um man i'm i'm really really digging this one uh i'm 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 very excited to talk more about it as we go but kent what are your thoughts yeah i'm more excited to hear um what you guys thought of this more than i am to give my own thoughts uh this is (laughs) this is one that you just sort of want to brainstorm with your with your friends and and just talk about it 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 encourages discussion which i really really look for uh, when I'm making my final uh, decisions towards the end of the year, when we make our final best of lists, but um, man, this one, this one's going to be tough to beat. I'll say that. Um, other than one other movie, which should be obvious now, I don't think there's been a more ambitious film to come out this year. Um, yeah, Boyhood certainly make would make an argument for that. <laughs> um, as far as cinematic technique, this blows. Boyhood out of the water. I mean, Boyhood was basically all right. See you guys in a year. We'll film another scene. You know, sure. um, this just took the amount of thought that this required is astounding, and uh, totally. the, they pulled it off fantastically. I was, I had heard, you know, and I think we had even talked on the podcast in in weeks past about what this was going to be. That we had heard it was going to be, you know, a simulated one shot for the entire film, but I didn't. I didn't really believe it until I until I was going to see it. How seamless it was going to be, mm-hmm. and uh, that they they never rely on one camera trick to get from scene to scene because it's this is not one shot. This is multiple right. scenes shot, but the way they transition makes it invisible to the average person that you would never know there was a cut there or something. And the way they reinvented that transition from scene to scene without uh, making a cut was was a very interesting just from a film technique standpoint. I could go on and on all day just about the <laughs> about, about what aesthetically this means to cinema uh going forward. I think it means a lot and I'm really excited to see what happens, you know, after this movie in years to come. How what the what the artistic response is going to be to it. And uh like I said, this one's going to be tough to beat this year. As far as ambition, I know Interstellar has a lot of ambition. Uh, mm-hmm. but you know, it's, it's yet to be seen whether that it lives up to that. And I'm sure Paul Thomas Anderson will have something to say about, uh, how to shoot a movie, uh, when Inherent Vice, uh, comes out later this year. But man, this one, this one blew me away and, uh, in more ways than one, the performances here, we should just talk about them right off, uh, right off the top. Sure. Just, <laughs> I mean, this is just proof that a good director is all that matters in uh, in cinema in cinema. I mean, if you're a subscriber of the auteur theory, which I personally am, uh, it says that the director is the ultimate decider in every aspect of a movie. Um, 
the performances are on the director, really. And um, he delivers on every performance in this movie. He gets the best out of every single person, and it makes it look like one continuous shot. It's just mm. – it's it's greatness. Um, when you can make Naomi Watts, like, bearable on screen, <laughs> I, I just got to hand it to you, you know? Yeah. And, you know, this is going to – obviously, Keaton's going to be – recognized for this, but I think there's a lot of praise to be given around from everyone in the cast um, yeah. and the way that they contribute to Keaton's performance and encourage it is, is great. So uh, what did you guys think of the performances? I guess we can start with Keaton. Brian, what were your thoughts on, on uh, American treasure, Michael Keaton? I've always been a fan of Keaton and I, I love that. One of the things I really dig about him is that he I think people underrate him as a performer. There was a lot of outcry when he was cast as Batman from the fanboys of 1988 and 89 um, because they didn't think he could do it. And he was fantastic as Batman, really good Batman. Um, he's done these little bits in some really, you know, he does the, the Pixar stuff. He's always great in that. And that takes a different talent to be able to do voice voice work that works well. And then there's this, which is this is this is one of the more difficult performances that you're ever going to see, certainly this year, because he's really doing three or four or five different performers. It's almost like being schizophrenic, you know. He he's having to be he's being Riggin, but Riggin is is really he's got the the Birdman voice going on but but Riggin is a movie star trying to prove himself as a as a theater actor yeah. and so he's got to do both sides of that and and do the Birdman thing at the same time and and then pull off all the stuff with uh it, it's it's almost like inception you know it's like it's a performance within a performance within a performance um there's not many guys that could do this and i love that he keeps Throughout the course of the last however many years of his career, he's like he's very selective about what he does, and uh, he picks these. He continually stretches himself to do something different. Uh, and I, man, I love. I just I dig that about them. At the same way, you know, we talked about Jeff Goldblum in American Treasures, and and I love that Jeff Goldblum has just gotten to a point where he's just like, I'm going to show up and be Jeff Goldblum, and that's really cool. But I also love when an actor can do this and and show something completely different than anything that we've ever seen. Um, I I totally want to talk about all the other actors because they're they're phenomenal. But Keaton is so stinking good. Like I would be, I, I would be shocked if it's not coming down to him and Carell for for best actor. Oh, I don't uh, know. Walking uh, Phoenix, maybe. I. Yeah, I mean, inherent vice. Inherent vice is a huge wild card in all of this mm -hmm. uh, awards discussion for, on all levels because uh, it seems because it's PTA and he always puts his his movies in a great position to succeed. But I also think, like, I, just from from the the very early stuff that we've seen, I'm not a hundred percent sure that inherent vice is going to play as well as we anticipated that it's that it's going to I, I, agree. I could I agree. 100% be wrong but I kind of feel like this is a that's a film that people might miss like the the what he's going for might not quite grasp it and might kind of write it off as a dark comedy instead of giving it the the do you know what it's due as far as being a great film uh, obviously we have no idea it could be a terrible film I, I mean we highly doubt it but we have no idea um so that's a huge wild card in the thing, but 
it's going to be like, I'm very excited for Foxcatcher in, in a couple of weeks. Um, and I'm predisposed to that because I love Steve Carell so much and I want incredible success for him as in anything that he was doing because he just, because Michael Scott is one of the greatest characters ever and he got shafted by, anyway, um, it's, it's going to be really tough for anybody to, to beat Keaton in my mind, at least this is just a phenomenal, phenomenal performance. And, and, and it, it is a, it's difficult to like just talk about him because there are so many other really great performances within this film. I'm concerned for Ed Norton and uh, Emma Stone and and all the rest that may get completely overshadowed by how great Keaton is uh, come award season, all that. But they deserve their due. And and let's give a little, you know, the, the, we talked about the script not being that great. Uh, but as you mentioned, Kent, the director's getting great work out of his performances, and one of the big outcries and you know within uh, criticism and and media revolving around film is that there aren't enough great female uh, characters to play, and this has like four of them. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. Emma Stone is great. You're, I'm with you on Naomi Watts. Never been a fan, but she's very good in this. Amy Ryan, very small role, but very good. And I'm I really like Andrea Riseborough a lot, and I thought she was fantastic in in a very also a very short uh, little little limited role on screen. But um, this you know Norton's great. Anyway, they're all great, but I'm I think Keaton is going to just swallow up all of that incredible praise that it's that it's going to get. Yeah, Richard. I, I was really blown away by Norton, though. I thought it was a really um, kind of, uh, you know, Norton's been doing this sort of comedic thing in the last couple of years, but this is sort of a really smart, funny take on kind of who he was for the first act of his career. And not so much maybe who he even was, but what the perception of him was, right? Sure. This sort of Yale drama school guy. Um, I don't know if he's Yale drama school. I know he went to Yale, but this Yale guy who's like over serious super method and and all of these things. And it was just like, a, I, he to me was like a complete revelation. Um, Keaton is, is great. And I always expected him to be great. And he was beyond great in this. And yes, he will hopefully get nominated and, and, and I'd be fine with him winning. Cause it's a, that's as tough as a nuanced performance and egoless and ugly and a lot of different things that mm-hmm. a lot of actors wouldn't do. Um, I think Norton definitely has the fun, cooler part, but uh, what, what Keaton does is probably a lot more authentic and original. Nope. You know, um, all irony aside, you know what what the movie is. <laughs> Amy Ryan was wonderful. Uh, Zach Galifianakis was really f- funny and, and kind of yeah. a straight part. Um, it was it was really a solid kind of team effort. You're right. I I I should I should say the script was actually quite good in terms of dialogue. Yes, um, yeah. It, it was more than plotting. Yeah. Plot devising yeah. was pretty, right. It was, it was average. It was probably yeah exactly. And uh, but yeah, the, I thought the dialogue was really nuanced and smart and. Um, that kind of opening scene where where uh, not opening but early early on when Norton joins the production and they start working out the beats of the scene and they're going yeah. in and out of real dialogue to you know talk about what that scene's about what that Raymond Carver is about and what they're trying to get across there it's like all at once really powerful and philosophically interesting and um, uh, very literate and and very funny like all in, in Two minutes, it's all of these things. It, I, I just thought that was great. And another piece of dialogue I loved um, is his, his, his scene about what criticism is with the, with the critic, the New York Times critic, uh, towards the end of the film mm-hmm. um, in the bar. When he talks about you're just, how you're just naming things and naming things, right? That was, I thought, really kind of like uh, really smart and kind of 
uh, Wittgensteinian or whatever, it, you know, what, what words are just what words are, right? And and they don't really mean ideas all the time and things like that. That there was a lot of really interesting dialogue in it, so I don't want to harp on the script in terms of that. But uh, yeah, it was it was really kind of uh, I thought a very thought provoking movie, movie, and then just it, it glamorized in a way I thought, even though it may have been proven that trying to do the opposite. But you know, just from like a kind of um, basic curiosity point of view, I, I'm always really interested in Broadway. I'm kind of fast. It's kind of the great unknown in terms of these. I kind of know how the music industry works. And I know how the film industry works. I know how television works to an extent. And Broadway is just sort of this thing in this one city in the country. And the sort of background of that and how the politics of that are a lot less known. And and I thought kind of interesting to, you know, even though the, the movie is not at all about that, um, it's, it's certainly sort of an interesting backdrop for it. Yeah, I was I was wanting to know your perspective on just yeah. the stage acting aspect of, of the movie because – you're my go-to person when it comes to all things, uh, all things Broadway. So, uh, yeah. that, I know it does. I know you're a big guy in uh, Shakespeare and all that. So I was interested yeah, no, to hear I mean, your thoughts yeah, on it. I thought it was it really explored it in a way I never been. I, I by no means come to be an expert. I I but I think um, did having, you expect it to be so focused on stage acting and less no. on the story and uh, and no, on Birdman himself? You know. No, I didn't at all, and 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 also I could say particularly I I have a and and this is going to sound pretentious to start with, but uh, just stick with me. I have a, a undergrad degree in, in English lit, and and I I sat through way more English classes than I ever care to experience again, and I've read so much Raymond Carver Carver in my life and hated every second of it, and so yeah. <laughs> the fact that, that was there is just not my cup of tea. I'm sure it's wonderful. I've read all those short stories. And like the fact they're kind of mocking that in a weird way made me my heart just sing with happiness <laughs> because yeah um, I love that so that, there was a lot there but yeah this kind of stage acting and like you know I thought more than anything really exploring what acting is um, more than most movies do um, and what yes. you know Edward Norton has that great line of you know what yeah he's a, he's a Hollywood phony but tomorrow night at eight a.m. he's putting himself out there what are you doing. Exactly. You're just sitting there criticizing, like we do on this podcast. I thought that was kind of a that should be like an actor's motto from now on. That was a kind of an empowering statement, I thought. And so, uh, yeah, I, I I really did. I like you know that. I like thinking about acting and what it means and all of those weird thoughts. So I I love that part of the movie. That was probably my favorite part was the the stage acting part. Yeah, I I, I found that extremely fascinating, and I found the the idea to do or to set a film in a theater and uh, all the drama that goes on just backstage preparing for a Broadway play is an extremely um, interesting premise for a film. Sure. And you include that with this whole washed up Hollywood actor and this producer struggling to have a hit uh, mm-hmm. who's never had one. Um, we should mention Zach Galifianakis's performance <laughs> as well. Uh, another one of the many in this movie that will probably get overshadowed uh, by the end of the year, but you know, plays third uh, fiddle to Edward Norton and uh, yeah. Michael Keaton as far as the male performances here. But I was extremely impressed with his work. Uh, so John. was I, and I was kind of impressed at not how not impressed I was by it. What that I mean was it was just a super professional performance yeah. by him. It wasn't showy. It wasn't look at the fat comedic guy being the serious blah blah. He was just like he totally belonged. Yeah, uh, apparently Edward Norton and Michael Keaton kept a um, 
a tally of the mistakes that, that they would make because, you know, they would have yeah. to do, I mean, even though it's not technically one long take for the entire two hours, it's, it's a lot of long, it's takes, yeah. 10, 15 minute long takes or whatever uh-huh. yeah, the math works out to. So, I mean, they do have to do a lot of these in one shot and, uh, you know, they kept the tally, uh, just to see and bet who would make the more mistakes. Apparently, Emma Stone made the most mistakes of of the <laughs> cast, but Zach Galifianakis made the fewest. And, oh, and wow. that that backs up your point, Richard. It just felt so natural. And mm-hmm. even you know he stuttered a couple times in his in his delivery, but it made it seem even more natural uh, than sure. it was if he had done it. Let me let me do it again. You know, yeah, he powered like through it. Uh, he powered through it and pulled it off and and came out. Gaining my respect at least dramatically. I knew totally. he had. I know he has chops. Uh, he's a very you know he's a great um, creative mind. But I'd never seen him in sort of an art house movie before, unless you consider you know the Hangover Part Three art house. I do. Uh, <laughs> I do. I still haven't seen that. I'm I'm pretty proud. No, of I haven't that. seen two or three. Um, I saw two, and it was that was enough. Both, one of the cool things this thing got terrible. <laughs> yeah. What one of the cool things this explores, I think. And, and I don't know if it's really intentional, but it's something that I think everyone can enjoy about this movie. And I think the long takes are, are purposeful there and they really explore that is I, I always tell everyone, no matter what, and I, I think all three of us have done this in some capacity, no matter what your interests are, your personality type, whatever, you should at least like every five years. I'm not, I'm not kidding about this at all. This is no hyperbole. Like every five years take part in some sort of live theater, whether it's lighting or, you know, set building or acting or whatever you want to do. You should just go to your local community theater, give up, you know, a month of your life at night and do it because it's such a tightrope act and it's such a thrill. Um, and it's such like a kind of experience with like you and 10 strangers that you, you did this and you put on a show and, uh, that for that two hours, it is madness right backstage. And then you have to like, it's almost a magic trick. Right. And then on the, on the front of the stage, it's calm and, and what it's supposed to be. Um, and I thought the movie really with those long takes really showed that like it, it, you know, they're teetering the whole time. One, one mess up, they've got to start all over. And in theater, obviously you don't even get to start all over. Um, I always think it's like the best thing. It helps you in so much of your life to do that. I'm serious. Like it, no matter what your profession is, just go do that for, if you, for, once in your life, at least I try to do it like every five or 10 years, do something like that because it takes me out of my comfort zone. And I really find that it's almost like skydiving the thrill of doing that and knowing whatever you do matters in that moment and can mess the whole thing up is like, uh, I don't know. It builds your brain in a weird way. You're right. And I, the main theme I really in, was invested in and got out of the movie was the theme of identity. Um, not knowing, what your true identity is, uh, you know, people that have multiple career paths, um, people that later in life struggle to find their identity. Uh, it, it's a theme that's prevalent a lot in the movie that I really mm-hmm. enjoyed. And something I noticed was in uh, Riggins' dressing room on the mirror, there was a quote that says, a thing is a thing, not what is said of that thing. Yeah. And I thought that was... Uh, could be applied as the theme of the movie too. Um, mm-hmm. I just really enjoyed uh, the progression of Riggins' uh, character, and you know, a lot of this is left ambiguous, which I also really appreciate. Yeah, in in an art house style film, that uh, th- so much of this can be left for interpretation, and that's it goes back to the point 
my point earlier of encourages discussion. What did you guys think about the plot device of um, him battling like his dual personality, uh, Birdman and Riggin, uh, the struggling, aspiring stage actor? What did you guys? How did you interpret the voiceovers and the uh, CGI and uh, things that sort of intercut uh, between the scenes? I thought they were perfect. I, I yeah. mean, it really worked well within the within the structure of the film, and I got. I mean, they were they were very funny, but in the but in a very dark, very dark way that that works quite well with that setting. I, I thought that they hit the nail on the head with that, and and Keaton. You know, Keaton pulled it off. Keaton was just fantastic, and so I couldn't believe that was his voice doing Bird. I know, I know. I had like I, the first time he talked, I was like, "Oh, that's got to be Keaton." And then, like the more the more that you heard from uh, from the Birdman voice, the more I started to is that seriously him? Because I can't, you yeah. know, I can't quite tell because it's just such a different thing. You know, it 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 worked really well, and the slow build to developing that split personality, really, you know, with in the very beginning it's it's you know you you know what's happening but you you know they kind of leave it to your imagination at least building to the point of this you know birdman's like following him down the street and stuff like yeah. that i thought that was really really well done and and i liked that you know this movie has something to say and i don't care that every you know i don't need every movie to have a, a profound meaning or an effect on me or anything like that i mean it, we spent 20 minutes talking about the furious 7 earlier in this episode so uh, you know i don't i don't necessarily have to have that with every film even even every independent you know, Oscar-y sort of sort of film, but uh, I loved. The, I thought that the the way they that he used the the split personality bit um, to really talk to kind of delve into this desire of humanity to matter to the rest of humanity. Uh, I thought it was that's a very common theme. We've seen that done many times. I thought this one was done. Uh, correctly, you know, and done very, very well. And, and the, the way that, that he used that, uh, that, that split personality and the Birdman and the CGI and all that sort of yeah. stuff played right into that perfectly. It's interesting. And this is something that we haven't really gotten from a, at least a, a nonfiction uh, movie, maybe in a documentary somewhere along the lines, but we never really get an inside look of what it's like to be such an iconic figure in America. This is sort of I I guess a, a parody of, you know, Keaton's own life or something. Just imagine how empowering it would be if you're Robert Downey Jr. to be Iron Man. You know? Right. It's like and, you know, Keaton's character Reagan has that realization several times in the film. He's like, I'm Birdman, damn it. You know, mm-hmm. and it's uh anytime he was feeling down on you know, I'm I'm not a, I'm not a real actor or I'm never gonna make it. My family hates me. He just thinks to himself, like, that's when the Birdman voice comes in, you know, and right. it's like, uh, just make Birdman four, everybody will scream your name, and and uh, at the end of the movie, or towards the towards the last act when he gets locked out of the theater and uh, walks through Times Square, and the, the paparazzi go crazy. Um, another realization that he personally had of his importance to culture. That he was worried about, but uh, several iconic scenes in this movie, uh, several scenes, at least cinematically that I could say something I've never seen before. For instance, the scene I just mentioned with him walking through Times Square in his whitey tidies was uh, was yeah. quite 
uh, well thought out. Uh, the scene where he goes into the liquor store, it's like full of Christmas lights, you know, mm. amazingly well shot. And somebody's screaming Macbeth yes. outside on the street, right. which was I thought was phenomenal. I think that was just a cool touch. My, maybe one of the more simple scenes, but you mentioned it earlier, Richard. The scene where they're sitting, just sitting at the the dinner table rehearsing the scene, and the mm. camera's sort of just circling around the table. That's such a common device we see in multiple movies, but it's if it's done right, it's so effective. And um, the camera work in this movie, like we said, is great. But, I mean, if if you're skeptical about digital cinema before, just check this out. You know, it's like, this is the biggest, best statement I can remember as far as like a, um, a movie you could shoot yourself, uh, with digital, um, and just get a steady cam and a, and a high quality digital cinema camera, you know, and, uh, you're off. But this was the, the, the clarity of this movie just really struck me. Um, crystal clear. Uh, I'll give them credit for attention to detail with the set, you know, we're, oh yeah, you know, up, upstairs, downstairs, the basement, everywhere, yeah. and it all looks so real. Nothing looked like a set. I'm sure it was a real theater, St. James Theater in New York is where they shot it. I'm sure, but uh, I really enjoyed the uh, realistic nature. And one of the more stri- striking visual aspects of the movie is uh, that I noticed, and it's small, but I'm not even sure if y'all noticed it when Naomi Watts is sort of, I guess. Uh, with another lady in her dressing room and, uh, and you know, they're in front of her, her makeup stand and, uh, you don't ever see the camera. You're, yeah. you're in a room full mm. of mirrors and you never once see a camera lens and the camera's pointed straight at the mirror the entire right. time and you see their reflection in it as well, but the camera is completely gone and, uh, the invisible camera, um, in this movie was, I mean, they pointed out small, you know, very small aspects like that throughout the movie, but uh, really cool. And I'll mention a couple places where I noticed the cut. When they're walking down the street and they look over and see the drummer who's playing the score, uh, the jazz drummer, you know, yeah. uh, anytime he would look over and see the jazz drummer, there was a cut there between scenes. Um, when they enter the dark bar uh, and they see the rider there, you know, like when they go mm-hmm. up from the street into the dark bar, there's a cut that I noticed. Uh, when he goes to put the key in the door, uh, there's a cut there as well. So I noticed a few places where I could tell, okay, there's where the cut was. But for the most part, and and I'm speaking from like somebody who's an editor professionally, like that's sure. my job. So they like, did a good job of covering a, that up. They did a very <laughs> good job of covering that, and that's what I what I was referring to earlier. They 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 were very creative in how they covered it up. Yeah, and it really is going to take me several viewings to figure out where they stitched together the scenes. And in Gravity, I still don't know, but <laughs> in Gravity, I just feel like it was CGI. That's the explanation. It's like, well, sure. it's a virtual camera, so it's not really, it doesn't really count. But um, I was extremely impressed with this movie, and I have to mention they go back to back on cinematography. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Emmanuel uh, Lebeski. Is the guy's name? Yes. And he's not, done some great work. He's not bad. Yeah, <laughs> might have a yeah. future in the city. <laughs> yeah, you, you really don't have to. I mean, it's not even. You can look at his credits and not even think about the movie and just think about the directors that he's worked with between Karan and the Coens and Terrence Malick. Like that's that's pretty good. That's that's about as good as you want to as you can get for for this sort of thing. 
I thought he's the, phenomenal. Yeah, I thought the meta stuff was was pretty funny too. The allusions to, like I said, Iron Man, mm-hmm. and uh, they mention when he walks off the off the set. They mention, well, let's just get Harrelson. You know, <laughs> yeah. let's just get Fassbender. Yeah. No, he's doing X Men. Let's yeah. just get let's just get Jeremy Renner and Galifianakis is like. Who's Jeremy Renner? <laughs> I thought that was a hilarious uh, stab at Jeremy Renner, uh, but also uh, a funny commentary on the state of cinema. But and there's another one. Toward, I mean, we're in spoilers now. Um, we haven't spoiled anything really as far as where the movie ends up, but uh, there is a sort of little cameo uh, towards the end of the film with a, I guess, cosplay Iron Man and. Autobot fighting each other. Uh, so <laughs> I thought that was a funny little, uh, that's all movies are anymore now is transformers fighting Avengers. You know, that's all people want to see <laughs> like, um, but this movie is not for everyone. I will say, uh, a lady or a lady in my screening left and never came back like midway <laughs> through the movie. I mean, I can totally say this movie is not for everybody. I could see, oh, yeah. I, I could totally see somebody be like, I hated that movie. And I can understand that, but I don't think I just think you don't don't understand what they were going for here. Like if yeah. you if you go into this expecting a superhero movie, uh, right. I feel bad for you. <laughs> yeah. But I I I was highly impressed by this movie. It's near the top of my list for this year. So uh, any other closing thoughts or impressions of of Birdman? We should mention Emma Stone. Gosh. Um, that monologue that she gives when, um. When uh, her dad, Regan, finds her uh, smoking pot is just – I mean she'll, she can get any movie she wants forever now. Like just yeah. show that scene and <laughs> you're yeah. good. It's just And it's, it's one of the few places too in the whole film where the, the score drops out and the, yeah. the, uh, the jazz drum beat drops out and it's just – it's literally just her for two minutes and it's the, the camera focuses so close in on her face. It's a – that's a really stinking good scene. And she, I've always been a huge Emma Stone fan. I think we all have, all, all three of us. But that, that's like a, you're, you're right, Kent. Like, that's a kind of like a career defining sort of yes. moment in film where from this point on, you can officially, like, you can kind of do whatever you want if, if it wasn't already that way. That was something, something pretty fierce there. Yeah. And my favorite part about the scene is, She's giving this two-minute monologue, basically yelling at her dad for being a complete failure, or in her eyes, a complete failure. And they never once show Keaton. Yeah. They never yeah. once show his reaction to it, but they do show her reaction to his reaction. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And so, I mean, that scene alone is is cut out. And I played it a little bit from it uh, in the intro to this podcast, but go back on YouTube and watch the scene. They have released the scene as to promo the movie. Uh, so you can watch just that monologue and uh, one of the more impressive uh, scenes in the film, just for how simply uh, it is uh, pulled off. So I will give Birdman – let's move on to grades here. We've been talking almost 40 minutes about Birdman, but it I could talk for 40 more if we really really wanted to. I will give Birdman a um, solid A. Uh, this, one, this one was great. There were some plot things that didn't really – I didn't – wasn't crazy about, but – um, this is just so solid, and um, I think this is the best or biggest artistic statement of 2014. 
Um, so it gets my vote for um, one of my favorites of the year so far. So I'll give this a solid A, Brian. Yeah, it's gonna be an it, it's gonna be an A plus for me in a it's you know it's so early but it's 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 between this and boyhood for best of the year at this yeah, point for I, me and I, I think boyhood is still i think it's still my number one at this point it, this movie did kind of make me it made me wish that boyhood hadn't been released when it was because i walked out thinking that's the best movie i've seen this year and then i kind of had to remember that i saw boyhood three months ago or whatever i'm 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 not concerned that it's going to get overshadowed because it is such a such a great film and it's going to play very well on screeners and all that sort of stuff. Um, but just I kind of now need to see Boyhood again to compare it to to Birdman because this is nothing wrong with that. Yeah, because this is so this is just so good. I, I definitely those are the best thing about it though is that those are two films that are doing stuff that if if they're we've pushing, ever seen it in yeah, yeah they're pushing if, if the we've movie ever seen it in industry film, forward. Exactly. If we've ever seen it in a film before, it's been very rare. Both of, and they're so different from each other. Uh, I'm just, I'm just mesmerized. So it's, it's an A plus for me. And I will say, like, Kate, you're totally right. This is not a movie that everybody is going to enjoy, but it is one that I, I usually with a movie like this will say, like, you know, there's going to be some people that maybe shouldn't see this, but if you're able to go into this with a with an open mind, I would encourage almost anyone to at least give it a try. And if nothing else, kind of marvel at the technical aspects that are just uh, otherworldly, really. So it, it's you're, you're totally right. There's going to be people that uh, you know are going to go see it that don't like it and don't get what's going on. But it's it's almost where I'm like, give it a try and see if you can if you can figure out a way to make it work because it's it's just something. This is something special in my opinion. Richard, great. Yeah, I'm going to go solid A as well. Good. I, it's one I will have to see again, honestly. It all happened so fast. It felt like I was so into what was going on that I, uh, it's going to take a second viewing for me to truly uh, judge it. But I think Boyhood, for me personally, just had more of an uh, emotional impact. I mean, yeah, it, it's easy to say that because we are that age, you know? I mean, I think we're, you know, 10 years removed from the lead actors, uh, age, t- uh, period. So I think, um, that's, that movie spoke to me more, uh, from a personal standpoint, but I think this might be the best, the technically the best, uh, film of the year so far. And I can see a lot of people in Hollywood, um, in a few months being crazy about it. So we shall see. It's a movie about actors and directors. So they exactly. Like, that's what I mean. The- I can see this being a big player at the end just for, what it is, what it represents, what it's commenting on. Okay, let's move on and hit a quick Weekly Recommend. Weekly Recommend. Brian, you want to go first? Sure. Uh, This... This week, Netflix added a bunch of uh, 30 for 30s, and we've recommended 30 for 30s, I don't know, 100,000 times on this show, so I'll, I'll keep it brief, but they did add the most recent uh, run from the end of last year to the beginning of this year, and there's two of my all-time favorites in that in that group, uh, one being Young's, Youngstown Boys. Uh, it's it's the one about uh, Maurice Claret and Jim Trestle uh, and the their relationship it's it's a very i think an emotionally impactful film you kind of get to see the importance and value of a coach which is you know what what i do in 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 my job and uh what richard has done in the past as well and so 
it's a really great story and a, a very interesting film. So check that one out. And the and the other one that I really liked, uh, and it's it has the story is just so weird and crazy. And it's like a, it's something that I had no idea about, and it happened in my lifetime, which is always a weird phenomenon. But uh, it's it's one called Big Shot which is about the guy who bought the New York Islanders in the mid-90s and had literally no money whatsoever. And he just conned people into uh, somehow purchasing a, a professional sports franchise. So that one is one of the the wilder, just more ridiculous ones that they've done, and it's it's super engrossing. So check out Youngstown Boys and Big Shot. And really, if you haven't seen... They added like, I don't know, probably 10 more 30 for 30s this week. And if you've missed any of them, they're all worth checking out. Those are just two personal personal favorites that have been added recently. Sweet. I'm going to recommend something that also was recently uh, put back on Netflix. Uh, we're a couple weeks removed. Uh, we're a couple weeks away from the sequel to this movie and our podcast on it. I will recommend Dumb and Dumber uh, officially <laughs> to the, the listener. One of my favorite comedies ever. It um, it's a classic. What can yeah. you say? And uh, it's aged very well. I mean, I'm surprised at how funny it still is um, in parts. And you know, watch it before you watch uh, the second one because um, <laughs> you'll be surprised probably at the difference. Uh, at least that's what I'm anticipating. But uh, I don't. I I'm hoping the. The second, uh, Dumb and Dumber 2, doesn't degrade the first one. And I can still go back and appreciate it. But So until Dumb and Dumber 2 comes out, I'm going to recommend and appreciate Dumb and Dumber for what it is. And uh, if you haven't seen it, I don't even know who you never, are as a person. Never seen it. Never seen it. Never seen it. You're a liar. <laughs> I'm kidding. I've seen it 600 trillion yeah. times. Yeah. Exactly. But, one of the um, most quotable comedies ever. Absolutely. And uh, every line. Samsonite. <laughs> I was way off. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's, it's seriously, every line is, uh, if, if you just said the most random line from the movie, I'll be like, yep, it's dumb and dumber. You know, yeah. uh, it's, it's very memorable and, um, still has a good name up to this point. So I'll recommend it yeah. now. Dumb and dumber. Check it out. Watch it. Have fun. I bet I, I bet I say big gulps, huh? Like, I don't know. Every yeah. day <laughs> I say, well, and see all you my later. friends hate me, but to yeah. Everyone, and we'll yeah. see you later. Yeah. Did you guys see Carrie on SNL? What were your thoughts? I haven't watched it. Yet. Uh, you haven't watched it. I've seen a little bit of it. I yeah, it was he was all right. The McConaughey bit was funny. The Jim Carrey family reunion was funny, and that's about it. Exactly. Um, he's struggling. He's turning into like William William Dafoe too. His face, <laughs> yeah, it's like a very evil look now. All yeah, I think from contorting his face all those years, literally. I mean, it's like. Yeah. You got to appreciate him not getting work done, but uh, you might want to get a little work done, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Richard, what's your recommend? Yeah, it was what you thought it would be last week. I, I threw a curveball at you, but I uh, finished the uh, the old Amy Poehler book, and uh, my love for her grows like a flower <laughs> in a field every day, and uh, it's it's wonderful and funny and and uh, and and useful and and all of these things. So uh, I would actually probably rank it higher than than Bossy Pants. Wow. Uh, wow. And uh, I really did I really you read um, Kaling's book? I did. I, I audibled it, um, oh. and I audibled this as well. I like my comedian books. I, I I recommend Audible as a service for them because they're, um, you know, this isn't like literature, so you don't really ha- you don't gain anything from really like pounding it out. And with these uh, kind of improv actresses and actors, they tend to really act out the books. 
Right. And uh, this one has a cast of, I mean, Patrick Stewart is in this audiobook, Kathleen Turner, <laughs> um, both Amy Poehler's parents. Seth Meyers reads a chapter. Um, it's, it's really, I, w- I would say, the way to go with it. So, uh, so I recommend the audiobook of Amy Poehler. Uh, but yeah, I read Kaylin's as well. Kaylin's I liked a lot, but it was kind of pointed towards towards women, uh, which is great, uh, especially young women. Awesome, but I'm not one. So, uh, it, it, yeah, anymore. <laughs> but uh, so it it just wasn't as high on my list. But this one I think is something I can kind of any guy could could read this. And there's even advice like for men in the book. So uh, I, I highly recommend it. It's called uh, Yes Please, Amy Poehler. Awesome! I can't wait to, to um, I can't wait to read it or listen to it. I should say. So, Brian, where can I find your work online? You can find me on the Twitter at bgill12, and you can find my writing on canbabiesdrinkredbull.com. Richard, where can we find you? You can find me on Twitter at Richard Barden, or you can find me on the Thought Catalog. Kent, where might I find you? Find me on Twitter at Kent Garrison, and find all of our episodes on our website at Mad About Movies Podcast. Dot com. Contact us on there. Let us know how you feel about the show. Give us suggestions. Uh, insult us if you want, please. Yeah, we're uh, up for it. We welcome it. I will talk back. And if you uh, like what you hear, go on iTunes and leave us a five star review. And if you don't like what you hear, uh, go leave. You keep it to a, yourself. Go leave yeah. a one star review on the Filmcast. <laughs> yeah, take it out on them. And. Uh, Film spotting. Those guys suck too, so take it out on them. (laughs) Really just pick any other film-related podcast and trash them. Just do it for us, please. We're we're trying here. You can do from Kent Richard Bryan. Actually, we encourage that. Yeah, we just can't do it anymore because our our iTunes accounts have been blocked. (laughs) Uh, And on that note, fellas, until next week, I will see you at the cinema. Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.